And welcome to the Plant a Trillion Tree podcast. I'm Eva Monheim. And I'm Hal Rosner. We're both certified arborists, credentialed by the International Society of Arboriculture. The purpose of our podcast is to encourage tree planting and proper tree care for our urban forest, which includes neighborhoods, parks, and other open space. We'll also cover the importance of the already existing tree cover and the benefits. So welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We are proud to announce that the Planet Trillion Trees podcast has received a silver medal award for a podcast series through Garden Communicators International. We thank Garden Communicators for the recognition. This podcast is being recorded on June 24th, 2022. Dr. Ed Gilman is a professor emeritus from the University of Florida and is principal at Wood Architecture Incorporated. His 35 years in academia and the green industry has led him to write the Illustrated Guide in Pruning, which is now in its third edition. Ed has a long list of achievements and awards, including honorary membership in the American Society of Landscape Architects in 2016, an author citation award in 1999, and an educator's award in 2003. He has also received a research award in 2007 and an Award of Merit in 2016 from the International Society of Aboriculture, ISA's highest award. Ed's published works over his 35 years in academia include more than 120 scientific peer-reviewed journal articles on roots, tree planting, and tree pruning. In addition to all of his academic achievements, Ed has delivered over 800 presentations to professional groups throughout the world. He now conducts trainings, writes specifications, and consults for companies on arboriculture-related issues. Welcome to the Planet Trillion Trees podcast, Ed. We're delighted that you could be with us today. Well, it's my pleasure to be here from the cool parts of North Carolina. You have an amazing career, and you continue, despite the fact that you retired from the university, you continue on your path with dispersing your knowledge with so many different professional groups and, and you have your own company. Hal and I are just in awe of your work and we would like to know how you wound up in, at the University of Florida and dealing with trees. Oh, wow, that's a big topic. <laughs> dealing with trees, I guess, started probably single digits, I would guess in a little community in New Jersey called West Orange. And so I watched probably what was the municipal forester, maybe not even called that, it was probably Parks and Recs Department. This would have been back in the 60s, plant trees in front of uh, of my home. And it fascinated me. And combined with that experience, I think with my father being a gardener, small garden. We lived in a 150-foot lot, you know, it was really small, typical suburb in, uh, in New Jersey. And uh, that probably got me interested in it. Just working with the soil in the garden was fascinating, uh, watering, watching the water, guiding the water toward or away from the spring beans or the rhubarb or whatever it is we were growing at the time. Uh, 
probably got me started in trees. Now, the, the teaching part, I think I stumbled into because going through college at Rutgers uh, got me interested in forestry. I got a degree in forestry. So I knew a, a micro amount about how to measure trees in the forest. As a typical college student coming, how do you think you know something, but you don't know a whole lot? And uh, one of my professors came, came along one day. I was waiting for her class, botany class, and she asked me about grad school. She had a, a grant from the newly formed EPA. This would have been uh, 1974. EPA was just, I think, just invented basically by Nixon, uh, 71, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, that led to uh, applying to grad school, getting in, and then uh, five or six years at, uh, at Rutgers. And I just loved passing on at conferences that I got involved with through my major professors, passing on anything that we learned in that six-year project growing trees on landfills. You have you have in common with um, Dr. Tony Kendall at the Eden Project over in England, growing on old clay pits. Interesting. Yeah, you know what's so interesting is even now, I, I not every month, but a few times a year, still get emails uh, regarding that work we did in the 70s. So, you know, there were there were they call them garbage dumps back then, but but now these uh, these sanitary landfills are closed all over the world, and you know we learned a little bit about how to mitigate, how to prevent, how to keep the gas away from the roots, so that the trees could grow above it. We studied soil compaction because that obviously was an issue on uh, landfills, and uh, that kind of started my career in in getting interested in things, all things underground. I spent a good 25 years of that, and then um, as hurricanes and other storms were trying to tear trees apart, uh, when I ended up in Florida about 25 years ago, we started working with uh, what keeps trees up and why they break. Your work has is well known. I've used it in many of my classes. Your PowerPoints were uh, well received by the students, and we, we talk about, you know, you know, why why is he doing this kind of work? Well, you know, what does this have to do with all of our horticulture here in the north? And and of course, we're seeing we just had a tornado go through where I used to teach, and it just devastated the whole um, campus. And your work on strong winds and looking at trees and how they can sway in the wind and their tenacity is is incredibly important now more than ever, probably more so than when you first started. Well, we've, uh, right now, I'm under contract through the Florida ISA chapter. We've got about 2,200 members to develop an education program called uh, Pruning Credential. It's based on the ISA BMP and pruning and the National Standards Institute ANSI A300. And so I think we'll be the first in the country to put that together. And as I'm going through that, now I'm really in the first month of, of doing that. It's fascinating to see where we started and where we're at. And, of course, we're focusing on wind here being in, in Florida. But so much of what I've seen when I've lived in North Carolina, sort of the ice belt, if you will, and uh, in New Jersey for 27 years the ice and the snow and wind do very similar things to trees. The branches that are upright oriented appear to be the most susceptible. And then the second marker is the large branches. 
it's not only large, but it's branches that are large compared to the trunk diameter. And if you've seen some of the PowerPoints, you're probably aware of, of what's been coined decades ago called aspect ratio. And, and the, the, the ratio of the branch diameter to trunk diameter is called aspect ratio. And that term's in ornithology, and it's in electronics, and it, it's in car tires. It, it's basically the relationship between two parts telephone that you're holding in your hand would be a nine by 16, for example. And uh, so the, the, the bigger the, the aspect ratio on, on a tree, the more likely it is to be the issue and the branch that, that, that fails in, in some matter. So when we've, we go about trying to reduce damage in storms, it's all about training the arborist to Focus on those target branches, those branches that have those large aspect ratios, regardless of tree age. Right. Um, and I want to just get back to Florida. It sounds like you're back and forth and uh, helping out arborists down there. We've seen pictures, Ed, of the devastation. I don't keep a log of, you know, what parts and what regions of Florida have been wiped out. And as Eva just alluded to, it really seems like the structural pruning piece is at the forefront. I'm assuming that's kind of what you're working with, with the pruning credential that you're, you're doing with the arborist down there. Is that right? That, that would be a, a major focus of it. But we've got to cover everything from crown elevation, which is obviously the most common pruning done in urban areas in the U.S. and across the planet, getting that canopy up for, for many reasons, visibility, signs, traffic lights, et cetera. And then reducing, people want more light to the ground, clearance around utilities and buildings. So we're, we're covering a lot of ground, but we're, we're always putting in the prescribers, we're calling us a tree prescription. When we describe what we're going to do on paper, we focus the prescriber on those, those big branches and avoiding uh, sort of preventive pruning, if you will, so avoiding the problems instead of having a big cleanup job afterwards. And you know, when we've gone through these hurricanes, I've I've gone through four or five, and the last one being Irma, which came up 2017, I think it was, came right up the peninsula. We got 80 mile an hour winds from the south at the house, so I had a, I watched how trees move in the wind. Now none of our trees broke because I had structurally pruned virtually all the trees that would hit any building on our property. But my neighbor's trees were popping like, like flies. And, you know, in a cleanup, and of course, we all talk and, and about, about what happened. And when, when my neighbors looked at my trees and, and they were all standing and not, not but half the inch diameter breaks, I got their attention. So now all of their trees have been pruned by, by folks that I've been working with. Over the years, a group of arborists come to the house every year from all over the country, and we, we spend a day. subset of that group's been working on my neighbor's trees over the last few years. So when people see and uh, uh, what happens to their or what doesn't happen to their trees when we prune them, prune reduce the length of the branches that are large, and they get through the storm without breaks, without major issues, they become a believer. And it's I've seen it over and over again. I get calls and emails from arborist static sometimes. I remember one particular arborist, Kimberly, from the Orlando area calling me up after, oh, this is probably Hurricane Jean or something 20 years ago. Just a static that her customer's trees on this street had 
no issue. Had no work to do. And and so many trees were down in garages and houses and cars on that same street. So we've got to get the message out that preventive pruning really does its job and teach folks how to how to perform it. You know, just before Sandy, I called one of my former students. She's an arborist also. And I said to her, you know, I need I, I need to have my conifers pruned because, you know, we're getting into the September is going to be here. And of course, not only hurricane, but we're going to worry about the snow load. And I said, I really want to make sure that they're pruned back. And she said, OK, she said, not too many people think ahead of schedule. I said, well, I really want to make sure that we don't have any problem with any of the electric lines or the telephone line. This is when we has still had, you know, telephone lines, which yep. were so important. And she she did. She came in and a week later we had Sandy oh, wow. and had no problem whatsoever. And if it wasn't for that, she said, oh, my God, we're so glad that you had your pruning done when you did because you would have lost power and your, your phone. What was done? What was done with that pruning? Reduction was definitely reduction cuts. There was a pine tree, there was a camia cypress, and the pine tree in particular needed to have cutbacks because the branches I felt were too out of proportion. And she did, and it was fine. Right. To me, you always want to err on the side of prevention rather than reactionary. That's at least my my feeling. Absolutely. Passing that information on to students, I think, is is critical for our future arborists and and future uh, caretakers of the earth. They they really need to know that the prevention is 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 critical. Right, and it's you know let's take California for example, where you get a warm day, but but this can actually happen anytime. But the, the classic is this sudden limb drop or summer limb drop, so called, goes by different names. And it, it's typically on the larger branches and it happens at night, uh, supposedly. And I have certainly been in the Central Valley, California, Florida, in a home, friend of mine, colleague, and heard the crack and the boom in the middle of the night. And it's typically the large uh, aspect ratio or certainly the large branches. So those are really the focus. And the hard part, I think, in our industry is to continue the challenge of training our wonderful production arborists, how to get to the ends of the branches. Because that's where the work needs to be done. It takes a little more time. It takes a little more skill and and attention to, to some more details for sure. I'm not a tree climber, but I've worked with, with many, many of them. And that's a stumbling block for, for moving this forward. So you and I can, well, I can stand on the ground and point with my laser pointer, but I'm not the guy getting out on the ends of the branches. It, it's hard work to, to get out there. So we need more skilled arborists as we move forward, as, as we learn. It's like electric vehicles are fantastic, but where do we get all the copper, the cobalt, the lithium, and the other metals, that, that almost 2,000 pounds of metals that are in a battery? You know, it's the stum- that's, that's sort of the cog in the wheel production agriculture guys and gals that get out to the end. That, that's really the, the hard part for us right now, as I see it. And I think that's one way I've certainly observed the industry has changed because when I started as a climber many, many years ago in the Midwest, it was really just about aesthetics. Sure. Uh, you'd have a form on the ground trying to direct you to literally just prune out a 
a dead branch on an elm tree that was uh, three quarters of an inch in diameter because you, the client needed to come home and look up and not see a single dead branch along with it being, you know, wonderfully thinned out and essentially over pruned. But here we are all these years later where the emphasis really has to be on this preventative structural pruning, especially, you know, my perspective like Eva's is the Delaware Valley, Philadelphia and the surrounding area. We have a dominant species of American beech and uh, tulip tree. And especially with tulip, uh, anecdotally, Ed, I can share some pretty great stories as well of, of having our crews get out and do that fantastic careful reduction. And ha I have a property where the two trees that did get the preventative pruning, you know, 110 feet tall, came through beautifully. The neighbors had three major tulip trees uproot from the base, you know, the whole entire root plate sticking straight up in the air. That's how close the system. Got it. Yeah. And, and, and I would guess uh, spatially, they could be right next to one another, too. I've observed that. Yeah. Um, after storms, right? Yep. You know, uh, your work with some of that, the trees that can really tolerate the heavy winds like uh, metasequoia and taxodium, in this storm that we had on, on the edge, there's, there was this house that had at least 40 metasequoia planted around it like a hedge. Right. And everybody around them had trees down. These trees didn't look like there was a storm anywhere mm. around. And was it the shape of the tree? I, I would say it was the shape of the tree, its stability, its large trunk, the proportion of the branches to the ratio as you're talking about. And how did everybody else lose theirs in this family with 40 trees around their house? Not one of them fell, not one branch broke. What, you know, there's a good example, you know? Yes, it is. About it's, ratio. It's really, it's the way I think about the cone-shaped trees, you, you call it the external growth habit on, on this is, or uh, magnolia grandifloras, any of the magnolias, really the native magnolias like um, Virginiana. And then the ones you mentioned, small aspect ratio. So the branches are small compared to the trunk. You mentioned that. And the, uh, the, the single trunk, no bark inclusions. Few conifers have bark inclusions. There are exceptions, but less so than, than open-grown um, uh, hardwoods. The other thing is, think about the canopy. It's, it's almost the opposite. The actual crown is geometrically, let's just call it a triangle, you know, with the big part on the bottom and the skinny part on the top. Well, think about how most many trees that are lion's-tailed end up kind of looking like the reverse of that. So you're pushing the crown higher. So the widest part is at the top, you know, 40 feet in the air, 50 feet in the air. We all know wind speed is greater up there than at the ground. And so it's just basic physics, really. <laughs> so when we do structural yeah. pruning, we're, we're working on those, those five or so, three to eight, whatever it is, biggest limbs on a young, medium, and even a mature tree to try to bring some of that crown really down a little bit, if that makes sense, down closer to the, to the ground. Now, you know, that's a general rule, but obviously there's exceptions if you have a very protected space 
you're in a valley and there's mountains all around you, you know, the wind pattern is going to be different. You take that into account. There's just so much to teach people, isn't there? So I, hopefully we can get this to be a profession in the, in the U.S. and, and other, other parts and in, in industry. We all just have to keep working on it. People like Hal and, and others that have their guys working in this area already, I sometimes feel very lonely. I've spoken with a lot of arborists that are frustrated because they cannot compete with the folks that are not going to the extra time to, to do this type of pruning. But I think with, with time, as we learn that it's maybe simpler than it sounds, and that's what we're trying to accomplish in this pruning credential, is you know I've spent about 200 hours in the last month and a half trying to simplify the process. And, of course, we haven't taught it really to many people yet, just a few hundred. But I think it's teachable to, to bring their eyes through the process. It takes just a few seconds to really decide what needs to be done to improve the structure. And I've not seen it taught. So we need to get that in, in, our, in our textbooks. It's not even in my third edition of pruning book because I really hadn't thought it. You know, you learn as you keep going, right? So I'm still thinking about this. And I think the way we're going to present it is, is a very teachable to way. And it's, there's nothing complicated about it. It's looking at a tree of really of any age. But let's, let's say a medium-sized two-foot diameter oak. And starting at the ground with your eye, and you move up to the four or five biggest branches. So those are your targets. And then those aren't the, going to be the ones you remove typically on a, on a big tree. But you're going to follow each one out to the first union. You follow the biggest. You go to the next union. This is out on the branch now. And you keep following the unions, following the big one at the union. And you, you arrive at the edge of the canopy, right, at the end of the branch. And you make your designated predetermined reduction cut size, let's say two and a half inches. So you make your cut out there, and then you pull back, find your next biggest lateral. You do the same thing. And you apply that as far back as you think is appropriate on that target branch. And then you do the same process for each of your other target branches. So that's a very organized approach that I, I don't know where that might have been taught. But I, if it was taught anywhere, I sure missed the memo. But after working with some arborists in the field for, for quite some time now, it's just dawned on me that that's what we're doing. Getting that on paper, so to speak, in PowerPoints, in our case, in a manual, is the challenge and the work. But I think once we get it out in front of people, that that's the process and give them examples that it's teachable. Now, whether that gets implemented or not is up to a lot of people. It's up to all the tree owners out there. HOAs, uh, municipalities, be great to start there. Uh, the municipal arborists can be our ambassadors, I think, for this uh, project. Uh, but that, that's the challenge, is to get the owners of the trees to ask for this, for, for prescriptions, and then hire someone that is a, a qualified prescriber. Here, again, in, in Philadelphia, even I both uh, help out with uh, some citizen tree planting programs, uh, Pennsylvania Horticultural Society's Tree Tenders Program. So we do have an opportunity to work with with citizen arborists and at ground level that whole notion of a pruning prescription of just two or three hand pruner cuts on the day of pruning you know preferably just broken limb or something that got crushed during transport but that idea of hey you know you prune a little bit 
every year rather than coming back 10 years later and having to make a series of cuts that's way more extreme and, you know, potentially stressful to the truth. You know, you bring up an interesting point, Hal, because we have done, you know, through the decades, have done a terrible disservice to trees. And here's what I mean is we have, based on a very small number of studies, and I mean way less than fingers on a hand, we have somehow gotten in our arboriculture culture do not, and in horticulture culture as well, and even homeowners, do not prune at planting. And what I've come to realize in the last 20 years or so is that so many of the breaks on planted trees, planted trees, not, not native acorn planted, but planted trees, so many of the breaks were codoms or codoms with bark inclusions that were on the tree when the tree was planted. So this might be 50 years later, you're looking at this failed maple and it's split eight feet off the ground and that branch was obviously on the tree of planting. So my point is with these citizen type planting programs that are all over the country in every state is teaching folks on the ground and how to do this preventive structural pruning to one lead not necessarily on crab apples, but certainly on maples, oaks, et cetera, is going to at least reduce or eliminate the likelihood of that thing failing at that point 50 years from now. Mm -hmm. That's right. It's exactly right. You are so on the money, Ed. When we do our planting and we say, you know, if we're here, we do it. We, let's do it. We see it because, you know, the likelihood of us coming back next year might be slim to not. Exactly. If we don't take care of it. If we don't take care of it now, it's going to be a, pro a huge problem later on. And we saw this at the park where I was working. Um, you know, people were afraid. You know what I said? When are we coming back here? Let's do it. It may yeah. be a little bit more radical. But Did you see any problems with that, Eva, in the years after you, you pruned at planting? No, in fact, the tree looked so much better. We even did it on our street trees in the municipality where um, we had a nonprofit organization. And we'd say, you know, look, take a look at these trees. They should never have been accepted by the architect, the landscape architect, when they were brought in. We have to get a, a single leader. And we're going to do it. And we're going to have two pruning sessions, one in the spring, one in the fall. And we did. And it took us three years, three consecutive years to get that tree to a point where it looked like it was acceptable in order for it to grow well. What you were doing, what I describe as pruning out the nursery imprint. So just like exactly. a nursery imprints the root system, I spent about 15 years researching and, and educating about, about the root imprint that each propagation container, the three gallon, the 15 gallon, or the field nursery puts on that root system. So the same thing happens above ground is no one wants to buy a stick, right? So, so the nursery heads, they get branches, fine. You might end up with a leader at the end of, of five year production period. You're buying that two inch, two and a half inch caliper tree. Fantastic. It's got branches. Looks like a miniature plant of the mature tree. That's what everybody wants. Well, that, that nursery imprint that comes with the tree that makes it look pretty when we plant it is it's great. The tree looks fantastic. It may have a leader up into the crown, but probably not to the very top. 
So we have to take care of that at planting. There may be a double or triple somewhere in the top half. We need to reduce or remove the competition. But more important, or as importantly, are these the middle and bottom part of the canopy that, that you plant, you know, starting at five feet off the ground, that's where the big branches are. And after planting, and there's almost no exceptions to this in the, in the hardwoods, the conifers are dead, but in the hardwoods, almost no exceptions, those big branches are going to be the ones that grow because they're big. And we forget the trees like a plumbing system. So if the pipe divides into two equal size pipes, growth is going to go into, water is going to go into the, each one equally. Same thing with trees. So if you have a large aspect ratio, five feet off the ground, this one branch comes off, tree still looks like a cone on the outside form, still looks like a cone, but the structure is terrible. You got this big branch or two coming up from the bottom part of the crown. And the grower kind of kept it in check in the nursery, but now grower's gone. No one's pruning it twice a year. And it's lucky if it gets pruned, but either like you said. So let's get it done at planting. And you're at least done with a lot of that nursery imprint. One of the things I learned when I was in Europe studying is they, they do a thing called feathering. And they, those lower branches that are not going to be canopy, because we know that there has to be a 14-foot clearance for fire trucks. And that's what we had to deal with in our community. We feather the branches. We cut them back so that they can't get that fatter girth around yeah. the base of the branch collar. And just doing that will force more growth upwards. And we can come back and not have to worry about those branches taking up or giving a, a larger injury when we take them off. Yeah. We take them off when we finally reach our, our canopy level that we want, and then we trim them off. And it works beautifully and yeah. creates less injury on the tree while the tree is still able to get the nutrients that it needs in the places where it needs it. So, you know, these techniques that you're talking about are really critical, and I think it's going to really up the game probably – uh, another shy esque type upping in the game, if you will. I know that you up the game after shy with your PowerPoints and your information and your pruning sessions, which was incredibly important for all of us as arborists to learn and to share with other people. Well, the, the other thing, and I could not have said it better, by the way, than what you just said. That encapsulates what we need to teach everybody. And uh, I've spent the last 60 hours or so on this project trying to get just that across. <laughs> so one of the things that happens in, in the arboriculture industry is the guys and gals want to work on the big trees. And Hal, I don't know whether you were in this camp or not, but working on the smaller trees was, I don't want to say beneath them, but maybe it wasn't as macho in, in a different, different age. That, yeah. You know, that was the thing. And, and I, but I, I still hear that. You know, they, they want to do some big work, and, and we need to get the arborists involved in the early years. And, and right now, we're not involved enough in the early years. And I think it goes back to this pruning and planting version that, you know, started back in the 70s from some just a few research sub, uh, studies on some extremely small, small plants in pots. And cherry trees and one-gallon containers, and that's in the scientific literature, and uh, one or two others. And uh, we ran with it. I, I don't know why, but it's where we are. Right. Well, I think, you know, a tie for me, Ed, I'm always trying to connect the dot between the tree care industry 
Association, International Society of Arboriculture, and how that fits into worldwide issues that we're looking at with the uh, human-generated climate catastrophe. So if we're accepting that that's the reality that we have, I feel like the tree care industry needs to continue to look at ways it can reduce its carbon footprint, but also really take the, the tree planting uh, piece of it seriously along with the early maintenance. Because, you know, as you are aware, we have a podcast called Plant a Trillion Trees, but whatever percentage we wind up, humanity winds up planting, if they're not maintained, everything falls apart. It's a disservice and it's futility and it's carbon uh, resources wasted. So, I mean, I'm looking even 20 years ago, you wrote in the preface, you know, proper pruning can influence risk, plant quality, growth rate, plant health, longevity, and aesthetics. So you think about, you know, the earnest tree planting that's going on as far as reforestation and things like that. And obviously conifers are a different animal, but with our more urban plantings of the deciduous trees, you hope that along with planting day, there are a, a few of those prescriptive pruning approaches being applied that day as well. Yeah, well, it's going to be a, a long effort. You know, I've been around long enough, and you have too, to know that it seems like good ideas sometimes are cut on very quick. I'll give you an example. Removing all the fronds from palm trees in Florida, the native sable palm. Removing that, the research showed that taking them all off results in a better transplant success. So guess what? You could get more on the truck using that technique. And so that was adopted immediately. So whatever it is we invent, some instructional whatever, we, we need to be sure that it's efficient. Because if it's not, if it's too big of a change, if it's going to take more time or more resources, then it's probably going to be, folks are going to resist implementing it. So we have to make sure we're on good ground. And I, I think what happens is so many people receive tree service work from companies that are not plugged into this, and they end up applying treatments that are not right for the tree or the customer. And simply moving money from one bank account to another has occurred, and nothing that's of value has accrued to the, to the owner of the trees. So it, it's going to take some time now, uh, maybe another 50 years. I don't know, but we've got to start today. <laughs> It's like planting trees. If you want a trillion, you got to start today. That visual that you just, I mean, I saw when you were saying taking from one bank account to another, and not, <laughs> I was visualizing that. And I just thought to myself, now that's a really good example of, you know, showing somebody something and saying, and what did we get? Zero. You got a I pile. Mean, you got a pile of brush underneath. And, you know, I got an email two days ago from a fellow I didn't know. It was just a citizen. I got my phone number on in my email on my website at the university. And he said, is, do I have to cut this tree with lion's tail? And all the debris was on the ground. And he was a, uh, you know, an, an aerospace engineer from a very large company. You would recognize the name. And he, he was flabbergasted. Do I need to cut the tree down? Is it going to survive? And someone with a chainsaw, you know, a company, 
did that work? And and so we're not getting the message out. And I don't know whether regulation is the way to go. Who knows? I mean, there's that's a mixed bag, isn't it? It's somehow to get this information out to folks. And um, I think all of us doing a little bit, these citizen planning and pruner projects, I think are among the best. That's our, a really big opportunity because yeah. we've got people that are CEOs that come to those things or spouses. That's right. Yeah. And so you never know who you're going to influence. I think you're right about that, Ed. I mean, we work in the community a lot. And even when we were working with the children planting small trees at the elementary school, we would go over and do some weeding and some pruning. You know, we had this one little kid come up to us and say, are you doing the right thing? I helped plant that. <laughs> and and we were like, yeah, we we were here when we planted, so it's okay. We're all right. And they go, okay, I think I remember you. Yeah. But the fact of the matter that somebody's going to hold somebody else accountable, and especially younger people, when they're learning it in their educational programming, where they learn correct uh, pruning techniques, and you know, you want every homeowner to to be able to prune something correctly. And if you're going to be a, a good steward and you're going to have a, a property, you should know how to take care of what you have, or at least call someone in and say, this is what I need done. And that's going to be uh, another way for us to get improvement in the overall canopy of our cities and, and our, our communities. Well, the other, the other approach, of course, is through the professionals. And that's where I've done 99% of my work and hats off to you guys that work in the community more and i've done some of that but just just not been my focus but if, if we can influence the professionals to to up their game take less off the tree but from the right places to really promote a sustainable urban forest and, and allow those trees to remain in place most people most people are going to be happy and some people don't like trees and I, I get that but most people are going to be happy that the trees are there after the storm. You know, we always have the examples of folks cutting trees down after the storm. FEMA comes through. It's at no cost to the owner. And so would you cut these eight pine trees down while you're here? And that, you know, that all goes on. But it's, it's teaching that our arboriculture community, the professionals that are in the trees and, and sales reps and, and folks, that there is a different way to do this. And after they work it for a while, Companies that I've worked with and all the big ones that you can think of, as they have moved toward this type of pruning, this preventive structural pruning, there's less storm work after a storm goes through. And so they can carry on. Yeah. So you've seen that too. I know you've seen it. There's less work to come back and interrupt your whole schedule moving forward to try to do all this storm work. You can continue with your current customers. So it's, it's a much more controlled way of, of dealing with, uh, you know, think about what bridge engineers do. Bridge engineers have an inspection program. You know, all the departments of transportation and bridges mm-hmm. are inspected on a routine basis. And if they find deficiencies, you know, there, there's an issue. So why don't we do this in, in tree care and then uh, focus uh, on the issues that we find? I was thinking the same thing, Ed, because, you know, you don't, you, you have to have a, a certified plumber to come in and do uh, your plumbing. You, you know, you need someone to assess things. And, and I think that that is really a good critical way to, to go about it and make sure that things are done in a, in a proper manner. 
Well, and we have to be honest with ourselves, right? For example, when, when I wrote some pruning spec examples for Florida Department of Transportation, and this was uh, four years ago now, well, I struggle with who to recommend to the DOT as a qualified professional to craft pruning specs or, or prescriptions. I really struggled with that, and, and I ended up with, and I don't want to throw anybody under the bus here, and I don't even want to name the, the, the organizations, but I ended up with, with two references, and the, the more I thought about it, uh, neither of them have any required or have to show proof of any qualification in the field of pruning. And, and so that's one reason I think why the Florida chapter has elected to put this program uh, together and, and move forward with it. it. It's a start. At least we can point to professionals at municipalities, any tree owners, and say, yes, these folks have gone through this 12-hour training program and have passed this assessment. And they may not be good, but they, they're credentialed, and, and it's the most focused training anywhere that we're aware of in, in the U.S. There may be others that you're aware of in, in Europe where uh, you know more than a day and a half is, is spent just on, on pruning. But it's a start here, and we're starting in Florida. Ed, you know what? You have so many wonderful resources, and we're getting close to the end of our show. Um, I'm wondering if you can give a shout-out to your website. Anybody listening globally can check out your website and look at your PowerPoints and learn from any kind of information that you can give our listeners would be fabulous. Yeah. And also how to purchase the book, which is just terrific, not yes. only with the text, but the uh, illustrations. Fabulous. The third edition of the Illustrated Guide to Pruning is, is available you know, anywhere you'd order a book. So the ISA is certainly a place, Amazon for sure, and any of the other online book dealers. And in terms of the website, it, it is still maintained. We get three-quarters of a million. They tell me um, whatever hits or views or what, whatever the count is for. I forget exactly. So, you know, that's 13000 a week, I think, or something. So it, it's a site that people go to. We've got on there, just on the pruning side of things, um, probably 30, 35 podcast slash videos that, that show show all of what we're talking about, yeah, and, and more. And what is that address? And what is that web address? Oh, gracious. If you simply Google my name, Ed Gilman, at least in the U.S., uh, if you Google my name and navigate to Landscape Plants, that's the name of the website. So Ed Gilman Landscape Plants would be even better. Get you there directly. Great, because this, this is what people need to hear and see to help their communities globally. And again, the, an illustrated guide to pruning by Ed, and it's coming, the third edition's coming out. Third edition has been out. But what's coming oh, out is pruning, the Florida pruning credential will be coming out next year. Okay. Yeah, and Ed, I just quickly want to say before we let you go, I mean, there, a very positive message came out of our conversation, which is that preventative structural pruning works. You know, there's that mystical, metaphysical piece of uh, when the arborist partners with a tree and prunes it respectively, uh, with respect and sensitively uh, with those 
preventative structural pruning cuts, the tree partners with you. The weather comes along and that tree is still standing. It, it's a nice... Uh, and there's even some information that shows a well-structured tree near your home protects it. <laughs> well, great, guys. It's, it's really been fun. I hope we would do it again anytime. Just let me know. Well, thank you so much. Sounds thank good. you so much. And we wish you the very best with your new, your new projects. Fantastic. All right. We'll talk later. See you guys. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Planetrillion Trees podcast is edited by Andromedan Recordings in Hollywood, California. Thank you.